turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, in your copy of God's Word as we continue to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount series as we work our way through the great Gospel of Matthew. I wonder what you would think about a plan if we announce that we're going to collect everybody's jewelry, your, your gold and your silver earrings and rings and wristwatches, and um, we're going to melt them down and maybe form uh, not a calf like Genesis chapter 32 or Exodus chapter 32, but uh, a cross. A cross would be a good emblem, and we would melt them all down and we would create this image that we could worship because it represents so much to us. Can you imagine what that was like in Exodus chapter 32 and the story of the golden calf. Moses is up on the mountain. He is receiving the Ten Commandments. His assistant Joshua is with him. They're on their way down after 40 days. They realize that there is just this magnificent cacophony of sound in the camp. And at first they think that they've been attacked and it's the sound of war. And then they recognize that it's the sound of revelry and partying. And Aaron, the spiritual leader, in the absence of his brother Moses, who was on the mount for 40 days, through the influence of the people of the congregation of Israel, had concocted this most incredible plan to collect the jewelry and to melt it into this golden calf that could represent a point of worship. Well, it was disgusting to God. It enraged Moses. In fact, do you remember that God tells Moses right then, um, get out of the way, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth and I'll just start a new nation through you. And Moses, acting as a type of Christ, um, acts as an intercessor on behalf of the people and stands in the middle, absorbing the wrath of God and uh, begging God to be patient with these sinful people. It's an absolutely astounding picture of spiritual leadership gone wrong. We learn from the story an incredible truth that is repeated over and over in our Bibles, and it is this. God cares about the integrity of his spiritual leaders. God cares who's leading his people spiritually. In fact, I don't know if you recall, Moses then takes that golden calf, burns it in the fire, grounds it up into powder, puts it in the drinking water, makes them drink it so that it passes through the digestive system. Some God that is being flushed down the toilet, literally. Well, we have the most remarkable stories in the Bible illustrating this truth. God cares about spiritual leadership. I mean, I'm thinking of, uh, for example, in Leviticus chapter 10, that most remarkable story of those guys, Nadab and Abihu. Remember those guys? They're the ones who, who offered, they wanted to be spiritual leaders. Moses told them no, but they did it anyway. And they offered strange fire before the Lord on the altar. And God said, I'll give you some strange fire. And he torched them right there and incinerated them. I mean, you've got the sons of Korah who also rebelled against Moses because they wanted to be spiritual leaders. And God said, no, you're not the spiritual leader. He's the spiritual leader. They reacted against that. God says, I'll take care of you. He opens up the ground in an earthquake and swallows up their tents, their families, They all, and then closes the earth back up together. You think God doesn't care about spiritual leadership? 
It really matters to God who's leading His people spiritually. We have that incredible chapter in the history books of the Old Testament where God, God is allowing His people to be uh, led by priests. And there is a passive man of God named Eli who in his old age loses control of his adult sons, Hophni and Phinehas. There's a reason almost no one names their sons Hophni and Phinehas. You name your sons Samuel. That's who God replaced Hophni and Phinehas with. They corrupted the practices in the, te- in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle. So as the people of Israel gathered to worship, they bullied them out of their best cuts of meat that they had come to, to offer as sacrifices in meaningful worship to God. And they took, and f- took them home and had filet mignon on the barbie that night. They slept with their wives. They abused the whole system and so God killed them. When we get to the New Testament, we don't have such dramatic, uh, God-killing people kind of stories. Have you noticed that? Are you thankful for that? God hasn't changed in His character and in His demands and in His righteous holiness. Uh, But God allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to come interrupt that wrath and absorb it all for us so that we don't get torched or swallowed up in the ground. And Jesus Christ took our punishment for sin and we can go to Him and we can by faith receive that as a finished work. That's salvation. That's most remarkable. We do have an interesting visual in the early church in the, in the book of Acts where God is illustrating to His people the importance of spiritual leadership and what's going on at the leadership levels. A guy named Barnabas, son of encouragement, sold some land, stood before the church. He was a leader. People loved him. He helped take care of the people. He was a godly man. He sold some land, gave the money to the poor. It was a blessing to that early church in Acts. And uh, you'll remember that couple that was sitting there that day during that testimony service and saw it all and had the people clapping Um, Ananias and Sapphira, they decided they could sell a little land, but then they decided to pocket some of the money, but they stood up in church and they said, we've brought all the money and they lied. And Peter knew, the apostle Peter knew they lied to the Holy Spirit and God struck them dead. He stopped doing that uh, quite as rapidly. The wages of sin is always death. One of the things God did do in the New Testament though is that He took significant space and he instructed the local church as to who qualifies for spiritual leadership. It's a very interesting concept. You know, when it comes to instruction about the church and how God's people are to be and what spiritual leadership is to do, God spends more time talking about who's qualified to lead than what they're to do when they are in leadership. Or how the church is supposed to run. It's interesting. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, in Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, he gives extensive lists. This is who's qualified to be a spiritual leader. 
Don't let anybody else lead. And then the Bible is almost silent as to some of the things that we really worry about, like what kind of instruments should we use for our music in the local church? Or what time should we have church on Sunday morning? And whether should we can have church on Sunday night or Saturday night or Thursday night? Bible is silent on all those things, except it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But when it comes to spiritual leadership, God's all business. Because as long as you have qualified spiritual leadership in the church and they are led of the Holy Spirit and they are thinking biblically and they are living biblically, you're going to be okay. But some of us have experienced what it is to be in churches where unqualified spiritual leaders have been at the helm and it is disastrous. This is what's on our Lord's mind as he wraps up the Sermon on the Mount. He's coming off those two interesting verses that we talked about last week in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Uh, you know, the narrow way, you narrow Christians, and the narrow gate, and how few there are that are there. Now and he's reminding us that on the broad road to destruction, where many people are, there are many false prophets, and he wants us to be aware of that. Let's read our text. Let's pick it up with the, the narrow and the broad road verses in 13 and 14, because this is the marked ending of the Sermon on the Mount. And our Lord, I think, is reacting to that narrow versus wide, reminding us and reminding his listeners that they must be very careful not to end up following this broad road of ideas and concepts and even corrupt spiritual leadership. He's going to speak specifically to spiritual leadership. Verse 13, Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now our text for today, verse 15 through 23. Beware of false prophets, spiritual leaders. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that's the one who will enter my kingdom. In other words, you can't just say some words and then go on living any way you want to live. You've got to live in obedience to the revealed will of God. Your salvation makes a difference in your life. These false prophets were all talk. On that day, verse 22, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Your Bible might say, the King James, you know, workers of iniquity. Incredible phrase. I think this is a passage of scripture that makes people nervous. Because you recall a day when 
You accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I hope you can recall that day and you understood that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior and you understood that Jesus carried your sin to the cross and you prayed to receive Christ, but yet you're fully aware of the weaknesses of your flesh and your stumblings and, and you're not perfect and you know it and, and you think, well, what if, what if, what if I would get to the entrance of the kingdom one day to enter the eternal kingdom of God uh, upon my death, and there's Jesus. And I say, Lord, Lord. And he says, um, who are you? So don't you remember me? I did this and I did that and I did this. And he looks at him and says, I never knew you. Get away from me, you worker of lawlessness. And people wonder. What? It bothers people. What is, what is this saying? Uh, let me just make a couple comments and put your heart at ease. If you're a person who, as far as you know, you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know you're a sinner, you know that Jesus died on the cross, you have admitted your sinfulness, you believe that Jesus is the Christ, but you just worry about, maybe, I, maybe not. Well, I don't know your heart, God does, and I just know that God keeps His promises. Number one, let me say this, this passage is specifically speaking about false prophets, it's not talking about the average person. Now, there is an application in that we can take on the mindset of these false prophets in that we can say anything we want to say. But the thing about these false prophets were they knew they were deceptive and they were destructive in their teaching and they were all about their talk and their image. But at the core, they were dead and they were rotten and I think they knew it. And they were... Living lawless lives, it says. It says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They never had a change from their salvation. They never came under the authority of the Lordship of Christ. And the teaching of Scripture never meant anything to them, really. We're going to see, about, see more insight into them in just a minute. So, first of all, this passage is speaking to false prophets, spiritual leadership that on the outside talks it all and looks it, looks it, but on the inside is rotten to the core. In fact, um, they, they're unhealthy, diseased, bad fruit. The second thing, based upon that passage in Christ's analogy of the two trees, a healthy tree and an unhealthy tree, good fruit and bad fruit, two kinds of fruit, two kinds of trees. If you're saved, you cannot not bear good fruit. Examine the fruit of your life. If you can see how Christ has made a difference and, and you know that you're not the person you used to be and it bothers you when you sin and, and you love to walk with the Lord most days and I'm not saying you're not human and have down times, but you come back and you're there walking with Christ and the gospel means something to you and you love to grow in Christ and you care about the word of God and you want to be obedient to the word of God. Those are all the signs and evidences of the fruit of repentance. The old ways are gone. The new has come. You're not depending just on, like, I said these words, but it, I meant it when I said it. 
I didn't just say like a formula prayer, accepted Jesus Christ into my heart and off I go. But no, I wanted my heart in my deepest recesses of the core of my being. I believe that Jesus is the Christ and he died on the cross for my sin. He was buried and he rose again. And so Paul said in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you're saved. Then you have the promises of God. So don't, don't not examine your life. All believers, the Apostle Paul taught, are to scrutinize themselves carefully as to whether they're in the faith. But don't let a passage like this bring in an unnecessary fear to you. What is the fruit of your life? Inspect the fruit of your life. And understand that this is about bogus spiritual leadership that's all about the surface and all about talk. In fact, let's break down the passage now and let's understand it a little bit as Jesus speaks directly to the point of qualified spiritual leadership. God cares about spiritual leadership. God cares about who's leading his people. Notice right away it begins, number one, with a call for discernment. A call for discernment. Beware. Beware of false prophets. There it is, this whole idea of spiritual leadership. When I read that word beware, it takes me back to when our kids were younger. And do you know Adventures in Odyssey? And uh, Tasha had all the cassettes and listened to them till they were worn out. And Jonathan had the CDs. And I remember one episode uh, that we liked. Um, there was a mysterious phone call. I can't remember all the details. And it was this voice saying, threatening wit in them. It was, beware. And then after that, Jonathan would call me at the office, and on the end of the phone, I would just hear this little voice, Beware. <laughs> beware. Beware. What does beware mean? Beware means to be on full alert, right? You had better watch out. Beware. The, the meaning of the Greek word has the idea that's translated beware to never let down your guard. You never relax your guard. It's a call for discernment. Why? Number two, because they come in disguise. This call for discernment is because Jesus says they're going to come in disguise. Notice, they are false prophets, okay, spiritual leaders who come to you in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing. Now, most of the time when we read that, I think we think about this, right? That's a pretty cool picture. Um, it, it's like melding in with the flock, looking like the flock. But I don't think that's really the cultural um, context of this. I think Jesus' audience would have understood very well what he meant, that, that they come to you dressed in sheep's clothing. In other words, they look like a shepherd. It's about spiritual leadership. leadership. They look like a shepherd, and a shepherd wears sheep's clothing. They wore heavy woven wool garments made from the product of their own sheep. And they had a look. And everybody in Jesus' audience would have known who a shepherd was just by looking at him. Oh, that guy over there, he's a shepherd. Because he wore sheep's clothing. He wore the shepherd's clothing. And Jesus is specifically addressing spiritual leadership, these prophets, these teachers who would come in and lead them astray, and they come in disguised as the shepherd. 
They look like good leaders. They look on the outside, they have the look of a spiritual leader. But notice, he goes on and he reminds us, number three, that they are very deceptive. They come in disguise, number two, and they, number three, are very deceptive. They actually inwardly are ravenous wolves. Listen, this is strong language, isn't it? I mean, this guy that kind of has the look of a spiritual leader... We're going to realize they have the sound and the words and the image of it all. But on the inside, they are all about destruction and havoc and death and division. You've, you've seen the specials, haven't you, on, on the History Channel or Discovery or National Geographic, whatever, these specials. Uh, you're out in Yellowstone National Park and they're looking at these wolves and the wolves are following a herd of elk in the snow in the middle of winter and, and um, on an old cow elk that can't keep up with the rest of the herd falls behind and, and the wolves come in and they, they start ripping at the hind flanks and and going after them in the loin area, and then one of them gets around front and gets his teeth in the soft nose tissue, and the cow's shaking and can't get off, and the rest are going after the hindquarters, and the next thing you know, they have her down, and these wolves. It's a vivid picture, isn't it? It's a, it's a destructive, disastrous picture. In fact, we can even add further insight to what Jesus is talking about here by going to a a similar teaching, not by Jesus, but by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, where he uses very similar language for a very equal kind of warning about spiritual leadership. Let's turn there, but don't lose Matthew 7. So I want you to mark Matthew 7 and Acts 20. And from now on, we're going to be looking at both passages back and forth as in our time remaining, we try to understand what Jesus is teaching about this fake, false, destructive spiritual leadership that on the outside has the look of a spiritual leader, has the look of a shepherd, but inwardly they are ravenous, destructive wolves. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 is speaking to the Ephesian elders These would be the spiritual leaders at the church in Ephesus. That's to whom the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians in our New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians, Paul wrote to these elders and to this church. He cared very much about these spiritual leaders. And at this point in time, he couldn't go visit them. He was on a a journey heading ultimately to Jerusalem where he was going to lose his life. It was at the end of his ministry. He's going to get his head cut off for the gospel. And he he sends them to have them come meet him where he is and uh, and brings the uh, Ephesian elders over to Miletus where he is so that he can talk to them and listen to what he says. We're just going to jump into this farewell speech. It's very emotional and very very touching. Of He loved these elders. These elders loved him. And he's told them, you're no longer going to see me again after I leave on this journey. And they begin to weep. And as they hug one another farewell, they're weeping. And, and they don't like it that he said they'll never see him again. And Paul gives some words in farewell of instruction and warning to them as they go back to Ephesus to lead the church as spiritual leaders. Look at verse 28 of Acts 20. He says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves. See, God cares about spiritual leadership. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Watch over the flock. Here's that shepherd analogy again. 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That's why he cares so much. He gave his only son to die on the cross for the church, his bride, his body. He's very possessive and he doesn't want spiritual leadership that's not qualified or that's dirty or savagery and come in and divide the body and destroy and tear down. He wants us to grow spiritually. He wants his church to be a safe, secure place of spiritual growth where we conform to the image of Christ and we are guided and guarded by godly shepherds, elders, overseers. And he says, I know, verse 29, that after my departure, look at here it is, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They will come in and they will destroy the work of the gospel. They will divide and they will tear down and they will destroy the work that the godly elders and spiritual leaders have built up. Your NIV, if you're holding that, will say savage wolves. ESV says fierce wolves. It's strong language. Very similar to what Jesus says that inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Paul goes on to say in verse 29, not sparing the flock, and then verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. All right, so let's remind ourselves where we are while we hold to two texts. Matthew 7 and Acts 20, we're going to hold them open here and we're going to think. Jesus has made this call for discernment. Because they come in disguise, they are very deceptive, these ravenous wolves, savage wolves. And we know from the analogy and what a wolf does, number four, that they are very destructive. And we're looking at Acts chapter 20 now, and let's just click off 29b. They are very destructive, fierce wolves, not sparing the flock. They will destroy the work of the gospel. Number five, their teaching is distorted. Their teaching is distorted. Verse 30, speaking twisted things. Number six, they are seeking personal disciples after themselves. They will draw away the disciples to follow them and not Christ. It's no wonder that Jesus is warning about them. Before we wrap up what Christ was teaching, I thought that this was a good spot to just rattle off to you. We don't have much time, but I want to just rattle off to you a number of characteristics that as I meditated upon this passage and what's already been brought forth in the passage of spiritual leadership, these false prophets who look like shepherds of the flock but are really savage wolves, I thought that it would be helpful... In the time in which we live, we have really uh, quite a bit of this going on. And I want to rattle off um, the marks of dangerous, deceptive, toxic spiritual leaders. These are the marks of dangerous, deceptive, toxic spiritual leaders. If that's too long of a title, and shorten it just a little bit. You might put a title, When a Spiritual Leader Becomes Toxic. Let's just think about what we've just read. Number one, did you realize that Paul said from among you in verse 29, and Jesus said in chapter 7, these prophets who come to you, so they're part of 
the flock. They're part of the work. And they're from, Paul warned the Ephesian elders that even from among them, maybe some of the present elders or pastors or identifiable spiritual leaders in the church, beware. Watch out because number one, surprisingly, they are usually very well-known individuals. A toxic spiritual leader is often very well-known to the community, very well-known to the congregation, and they've been around for a while. Number two, I want you to see that they often have a very strong first impression of spirituality. Often as new people come in, they will see, wow, that guy's really a spiritual leader. They have, number two, they often have a very strong first impression of spirituality. They're good communicators. Notice that Paul warned that they will twist the truth. And they're teaching things that are very interesting. And and you're listening. And well, they're a leader and they look good. Number three, I want you to notice that as they both Jesus and Paul in Acts 20 uses the word picture of a ravenous, savage, fierce wolf. Number three, recognize that they will abuse their power and like a wolf, they will prey on the weak. A toxic spiritual leader is one who often finds weak, needy, sometimes broken people who are just searching. They often don't know their Bible very well. They maybe aren't grounded theologically, or maybe their life circumstances are such that they are really beaten down. And the attention of this spiritual leader means so much to them that they will just follow them off a cliff. Think Jimmy Jones and the Jonestown Massacre back in the 80s. He They ministered, as the Bible tells us to, to the poor and the needy. And we're supposed to do that. He surrounded himself with needy people. And he dominated weak people to the point of manipulation and power abuse. Sometimes it's elderly people. Fourth, I want you to see that they boast about their ministries and their spiritual accomplishments. Number four, they boast about their ministries and their spiritual accomplishments. Let's go ahead and throw number five in there right now. They love to give the impression of super spiritual, dynamic, apostolic-like ministries. Number five, they love to give the impression of super spiritual, dynamic, apostolic-like ministries. Notice what Jesus said. He said in 21 through 23, They come to me, they say, Lord, Lord, when they enter the kingdom. But by inference, by the second part of verse 21, they have not done the will of the Father. They've only talked the talk. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Oh, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? But I will declare to them, depart from me. You're just a worker of iniquity. You are a worker of lawlessness. You're not obedient. You don't care about obedience. You just talk and you just want to appear super spiritual and you want everybody to think that you got it together and your ministry is what it's all about. One of the questions that occurs when you read that is, okay, so did they really heal? Did they really do miracles? Did they really prophesy in Jesus' name? Evidently they did. And did some good things come about from it? Yes, absolutely. Even these wolves, as they ministered in a false context for for false motivations and deadly demonic motivation, as ferocious wolves, 
God did do some things. He allowed some things to happen. But notice that these guys, they're just all about trying to leave this impression. They boast about their ministries. And they love to, to be apostolic-like in their ministries. I'll tell you, that's a clue right there. If you're sitting in a church and the pastor calls himself an apostle, just get up and walk out. Just save yourself a tire truckload of grief. An entire truckload of grief. Don't try to figure them out. Don't try to straighten them out. Just get out of your chair and walk out. If they have, they're ta- calling themselves some kind of an apostle or... I watched on YouTube and one guy that was called an, an apostle and, and then another pastor came in in their big church in Atlanta and he, he, he crowned him a king and they put him in a big throne and all the men in the church got up and they walked around the church with the, with the apostolic pastor who had now become a king walking around. Get up and get out of there. They just want to look at what I'm doing. Look at my kingdom. Look at this. And they... They, will, they want everybody to think that they're highly successful. They love to give this kind of impression. They, they love the trappings. Big houses, big cars, big clothes, big jewelry. Just get up and walk out. Number six, they will say and teach things that bother you or don't ring true. They will, you'll be under their teaching and you're like, wow, this guy is a communicator. But Paul said in Acts 20, 30, he said, they are, they will twist the truth. And so you're going to hear things and it's going to be like, wow, that was dynamic teaching. I didn't really get it, but it's really dynamic. And they're going to say things. They're going to say now. When you open to this passage, I want to give to you what God really is saying here. And when you're under their teaching, a, a false prophet will often you will hear things and you'll think, well, I never heard that passage like that before in my life. And I've been in church for 40 years. And when I was a kid, I had a pretty good Bible teaching pastor. And I had a Sunday school teacher one time that was really good. And we went, they never said that's what that passage. False prophets will twist it. And they'll, you'll begin to hear things. Well, is that really what it means? Maybe I really missed the true meaning of it. Maybe this guy really has the real answers. Beware. Beware. They're going to divide. And they're going to twist. They will teach and say things that bother you or don't ring true spiritually. He calls them twisted. They really care more about people following them than following Christ. Number 7, 2030 says they want to draw disciples after them. We've already talked about that point. You can understand that. The next few are observations from recent ministry meltdowns that I've read about or observed. I'm not going to name names. But based upon what he's saying here, can good fruit grow on bad trees? No, it doesn't. And you don't get good fruit on thorn trees, thorn bushes. And then when you examine the fruit of some of these ministries and you watch them and you recognize that is bad fruit, that is twisted teaching, and that is lawless living. Their ministries do not raise up people who are dedicated to obedience to the Word of God. They are not 
They are not understanding the word of God so that they know how to live out the will of God, but they are following these false prophets and, and it's lawlessness. Number, number eight, you will notice these false prophets, if you're ever exposed to a toxic spiritual leader, that they never receive instruction, correction, or input from others. They never or they rarely or they refuse to receive instruction, correction, or input from others. Recently, a major ministry had crumbled and folded, and they had many churches across our country. And it was, it was astounding how these ministries fell like dominoes because the leader imploded. And that leader was confronted by many elders in his own church. And guess what he left in his wake? Elders that were leaving his ministry. They loved their pastor. They confronted him. They wanted him to, to watch your message. You're twisting it. You're living in lawlessness. Even using swear words from the pulpit and cursing from the pulpit. It's crazy. And other ministries around the country took that on. And he does it. I'm going to do it. And there's like a lawlessness. And anything goes in the name of grace. And behind him is a... a a line of elders, a wake of spiritual leaders who have come to them and they say, I tried to talk to him. And even his very closest friends tried to confront him and he refused to do it. And they find out that just would not receive instruction. And, and when the whole thing falls down, because they would not humble themselves. Number nine, almost always in these false prophet ministries and toxic ministries, they abuse money and ministry finances. You'll find that they've been abusing money and ministry finances like crazy. Recently in, in another ministry, a couple different ministries have been exposed with these toxic leaders who control people and and it's not that some good doesn't come from it, but they're, they end up, and you realize, those are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not really shepherds. They're really drawing disciples unto themselves. This is what they're doing. They write, wrote some books. And then they took ministry funds without anybody knowing about it from the ministry and bought cartons filled with their books, put them in storage units so that the sales of their books would skyrocket and they would be on the New York bestseller religious author list and their name would be out around the world. It's twisted. It's lawless. Finding out that they took ministry funds to build incredibly exorbitant, overwhelming, movie star-like homes, celebrity homes, because that's what they are. They're celebrities. They're wolves. Celebrity wolves. They almost always, number 10, are characterized by duplicity and sexual immorality. That's what Jesus said. You're living in lawlessness. They're not obedient to the word. And they often are inconsistent in their own living with their own message. They expect other people to live a certain way and then they don't live it. Finally, they simply do not understand the gospel. You listen to their message. You listen to their teaching and you will come to this conclusion. They do not understand the gospel. And that's what I think back in Matthew chapter 7 now. They come, Lord, Lord, I'm entering your kingdom. Well, who are you? Lord, I did all this stuff in your name. Yeah, but that's not what my gospel is. 
My gospel is you being sorry for your sin. You coming in all humility. He's talking about the Beatitudes. Now he's talking about the very Sermon on the Mount that he's teaching. He's saying, you come grieving over your sin. You come in brokenness over your sin. And the gospel is that... uh, That a loving Heavenly Father, out of His kindness, sends His Son, the Lord Jesus, to come and rescue the perishing. He didn't come to give you a limo or a gold watch or a cool suit. Or your own private country club golf course uh, card, whatever, membership. That's what I was trying to say. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and Him crucified. Buried, risen, coming again, according to the scripture, transforming my life so that I can say, praise God, the man I used to be, I'm no more, man. We should have Brett sing his song right now. That's not the man I am anymore, whatever that song is. Sing that next Sunday night. (laughs) The old man is gone. All right, you're going to sing it next Sunday night, right? Oh, Then buy his record. (laughs) That's the gospel. The gospel is the transformation of life. It's not, Lord, look what I've done. They don't even understand the gospel. And finally, back to our other list. If you were keeping this outline at all, number seven is on the other list. Finally, their fruit will discredit them. Their fruit will discredit them. That's what Jesus said. Listen, Don't live in fear about the gospel. Let the gospel envelop you. And listen, a good tree can only bear good fruit. And the good fruit comes out. It just happens. You can't stop it. But don't expect good fruit to come from a bad tree. It isn't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. If you are a part of a ministry or have been a part of a ministry like with a toxic false prophet or ravenous wolf, There's only two things I think that can happen in those ministry contexts. Number one is that enough spiritual people get together and create a mutiny and take it over and oust the bad leadership. It's a horrible thing and it's terrible and it usually doesn't work. Number two, you've got to leave. There's a time to leave a ministry and you just leave. Get out of there. One of the applications of the message today is to examine the fruitfulness of my own life. How am I doing? What's going on in my life? And I think that's a good exercise for this week. Has the gospel been transforming my life? Do I love to boast in Jesus or like these ravenous wolves, even in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they want to boast about them and their own ministries? Didn't you see what I did? Utter nonsense. Toxic. Do you love to boast about Jesus? If you do, that's a, that's a good giveaway that your life has been changed. Let's stand together and close in prayer. With our heads bowed and just in the quietness of the moment, it's possible that... Um, The message today was needed by some who are maybe being led astray by ravenous wolves, by false shepherds, by toxic spiritual leaders. Would you pray and ask God to give you release from those ministries or ask God to remove them from the ministry?
show you what to do. As far as an application of fruit inspection, would you just ask God to help you examine your own life for the fruit of righteousness? Are you all talk? Or are you committed to obedience that comes from a transformed life? Father, just um, show us how to live. Show us how to lead here at Fellowship Bible Church. May we be spared from ravenous wolves ever. May we just have the joy of following Christ here as our good shepherd. And may our flock never be divided or destroyed or torn down. Father, would you help us to be very careful not to twist your word. Would you, would you protect us from lawless living? But show us the joy of obedience and surrender and yieldedness to our Lord Jesus Christ. We need that and we want that. In Jesus' name we pray.